we have the opportunity tonight to return to the subject matter that I introduced to you this morning, and that is this matter of the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. And I've entitled this series of messages, Where Wisdom Begins and Ends, because, of course, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, the Bible says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's the beginning of wisdom. If you are to know God in an intimate way, if you are to serve God, if you are to love God, the only way that you can do so is to understand that the beginning of your knowledge comes under the fear of the Lord. And then I say the end of all things is also the fear of the Lord because in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, it says in verse 13, the conclusion, when all has been heard, is fear God and keep His commandments, because this applies to every person. And so if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and if Ecclesiastes 12.13 says, the conclusion when all has been heard is fear God and keep His commandments, then the beginning of wisdom and the end of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's really a motto an insignia, a sign, a banner, an overarching statement that speaks of all wisdom, all knowledge, all understanding. It all begins and it all ends with the fear of the Lord. I told you this morning that if you are to be a person who is clamoring after God, loving God, serving God, wanting God to be every bit a part of all that you say and all that you do, then you need to understand that the fear of the Lord is a holy reverence for God, a loving reverence and an awe for this God that we serve. But it's not just that. It's also a healthy dread. It's a, it's a healthy examination of myself when I compare myself with who God is and it's a dread because there are times when I displease Him, times when I grieve His heart, times when I quench the Spirit, times when I'm not what I need to be, and therefore when I compare myself with this great God of the universe, I realize that I fall far short of His standard. And even though He loves me, and even though He's given me the cross of Jesus Christ, even as a New Testament believer, I want a healthy dread for this God. I want to fear Him with all of my heart, and I always want to understand who I am in light of who He is. And that's really the way I choose to define this term or phrase, the fear of the Lord. Now this morning, I said to you that if you were to look over the sweep of the Bible, you would see that the fear of the Lord is mentioned many, many times. I don't know the exact number of times it's mentioned, and we, of course, in this little series, We'll not be able to look at every single verse, although when we're done, you think we will have done so. But we don't know how many times specifically, but the matter of importance for us is this, that the fear of the Lord is a major motif in the Bible. 
It speaks of reverencing God, which, of course, because of that truth, it means that we want to know about this God, and because God wants us to know about Him, He gives us ample evidence of His person and His character. And as I swept myself through the Scripture and looked at all of these passages regarding the fear of God, I came up with a category of four things that tell us about how to fear God very practically. And the first one that I reveal to you this morning is that fearing God means to live in light of His power, to live in the light of His power. And I shared with you, for instance, passages like Genesis chapter 20, verses 3 to 11, Exodus 9:30, Exodus 14:31, Exodus 20, verses 18 to 20, Exodus 34, verses 10 to 14, and Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 to 24. And we learned that fearing God in light of His power means that we're going to fear God because He controls all dreams. He controls everything under His providential care. That we fear God because He, has an, he is an avenger of those who do evil to His people. We fear God because of His sheer power. We fear God because of His awesome voice. We fear God because of His great miracle-working power. And we fear God because of His chastisements. I want to pick up where I left off this morning, continuing to understand the fear of God in light of His power. And I want you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4. And we're going to continue to see the sweep of the scriptural revelation about the fear of God as it relates to His power. In Joshua chapter 4, we read, for instance, this in verse 24. Looking at verse 23 for the context, For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which He dried up before us until we had crossed, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Do you see the immediate correlation between the fear of God and the power of God? Do you see that it is for the very purpose of understanding the fear of the Lord that the Jordan River and the Red Sea were dried up or separated so that the Lord, it says, may show you the hand of Himself in mightiness. You see how easy it is to go through the Scripture, find a passage like this, and read over far too quickly and not understand that one of the aspects of the fear of God, at least as He shows us in the biblical history of the deliverance of His people, is that His hand is mighty. You see that there? The hand of the Lord is mighty. And I'm to fear God because He is that mighty sovereign. He is the person to whom I owe my life. He is the person to whom I must see as the creator of the world. He's the one who had the power to not only create the world, but to also dry up the waters of the Jordan and to separate the Red Sea 
so that all the peoples of the earth may know His mighty hand. We fear God because of His great and mighty hand. 1 Samuel chapter 12. 1 Samuel chapter 12. This shows us the fear of God in His thunder and in His rain. We talked a little bit about that this morning, but I want you to see it again from 1 Samuel chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. You remember the boy prophet who became a great prophet of God, great man of God, Samuel, in 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 18. So Samuel called to the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, Pray for your servants to the Lord your God, so that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil by asking for ourselves a king. You see what happens when a man of God asks for God to move in his creation and to bring thunder and rain and when that thunder and rain comes or maybe even an earthquake or maybe even a, a tornado maybe even tonight we should understand that God is to be feared because he can bring calamity he can bring great destruction and I think that the children of Israel must have seen this because they said pray for your servants pray to the Lord your God so that we may not die we've we've added to all of our sins another evil by asking for ourselves a king we're not satisfied with God as our king we want a human king in other words we want to take our eyes off the only sovereign king and we want to put our eyes and our trust in someone else we need to fear God beloved because we recognize that God is a God of great thunder and great rain. In other words, He is a powerful God, and we need to fear Him because He can do anything He wants. He can change the weather. He can create and extend His power throughout all of the earth. He did that with the flood, didn't He? And He showed all of the sinners of the world that His great, his great power and His great patience was going, his great patience was going to be displayed even though his patience doesn't run forever. And that patience had a limit. And that limit was the flood that covered the whole earth so that God could be seen as righteous and the people could be seen as sinners. And only a few survived. Why? Because God wanted to show that He alone is to be feared. And you can't trifle with Him. You can't live your life in any old way you want. God will even bring calamity and judgment and thunder and rain to show you that He is to be feared. 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles 16. Verse 23. Sing to the Lord all the earth, this is sort of a thanksgiving song, a gratitude song. Sing to the Lord all the earth, 1 Chronicles 16, 23. Proclaim good tidings of His salvation from day to day. Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples. For great or mighty or powerful is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. 
In other words, fear God because of His wonderful deeds, His deeds of salvation, His wonderful works, but most of all for Himself, for mighty or powerful or great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised is He. And above all gods, above all supposed gods, above all would-be gods, He is to be feared. Verse 26, For all of the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and joy are in His place. In other words, why would you worship an idol, something that you carved out yourself, who can't do anything, who didn't create the world, who isn't mighty, who doesn't have splendor, who hasn't done any wonderful deeds, who hasn't brought good tidings of a salvation from day to day, and who isn't great at all. Only the Lord is great. And because He is the only one who is really the God of the universe, we ought to proclaim the great news of His salvation. We ought to tell of His wonderful deeds. We ought to fear Him because of His wonderful works. Job 37. Job 37 talks about the fear of the Lord. Job 37, verse 22. Out of the north comes golden splendor. Around God is awesome majesty. Don't you love that phrase? Around God is awesome majesty, the Almighty. We cannot find Him. He is exalted in power, and He will not do violence to justice and abundant righteousness. Therefore, men fear Him. He does not regard any who are wise of heart. He doesn't regard those who are proud, who are wise in their own heart or their own estimation. Therefore, men fear Him. Why? Because He is the Almighty One. Around our God is awesome majesty and golden splendor. He won't do violence or injustice to justice. And He won't do violence or injustice to abundant righteousness. In other words, He's a God of great mercy. We ought to fear God for His awesome majesty. You see what Scripture is doing? Scripture is showing in passage after passage after passage that there is a definition to the fear of God. Don't you see how boring it would be if the Bible proclaimed over and over and over again simply the phrase, the fear of God, fear God, fear Him, fear God, fear the Lord, fear Jehovah, fear God, fear the Lord? No, it helps fill up all of the gaps in our thinking. Why should we fear this God? We should fear this God because He controls all the dreams and His providence, because He is an avenger of His people, because of His sheer power, because of His awesome voice, because of His miracle working, because of His chastisements, because of His mighty hand, because of His thunder and His rain, because of His wonderful deeds, and because of His awesome majesty. That's why we should fear God. He's our God, and He's all of these things and more, and that's why we should fear Him. That's why we should give Him holy reverence and awe, and that's why we should have a healthy dread of this great God. Psalm 33, the Psalter is filled with affirmations of our need to fear the Lord. Psalm 33, Psalm 33, beginning in verse 6. Again, notice how we should fear God in the light of His power. 
Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of His mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap. He lays up the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. Why? Why? Verse 9, For He spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. The Lord nullifies the counsel of the nations. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of His heart from generation to generation. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom He has chosen for His own inheritance. Do you see what the psalmist is doing? He's not just giving us a neat little phrase about why we should fear the Lord. He fills up all that it means. Why? Because the word of the Lord has made the heavens, and the breath of His mouth has made all the hosts, gathering the water and the sea, laying up the deep and great storehouses. All of the inhabitants of the world should stand in awe of this God because He spoke and it was done. Just by His very words, which are coming out of His mouth, the world has been created. What a powerful God just to be able to say, world, and it was done. Powerful God, mighty God. Indeed, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We should fear Him for His powerful creation. Psalm 76, Psalm 76 speaks of this as well. Beginning in verse 4, Psalm 76.4, and if you're not writing these down, shame on you. You should read these passages. You should meditate upon them. Blessed is the person who writes all of these things down or looks at their concordance and reads all of these statements about the fear of the Lord. Psalm 76.4, you are resplendent. Oh, I love that word. You are resplendent, more majestic than the mountains of prey, the stout-hearted were plundered. They sank into sleep. And none of the warriors could use his hands. At your rebuke, O God of Jacob, both rider and horse were cast into a dead sleep. You, even you, are to be feared. And who may stand in your presence when once you are angry? You caused judgment to be heard from heaven. The earth feared and was still when God arose to judgment to save all the humble of the earth. For the wrath of man shall praise you. With a remnant of wrath you will gird yourself. Make vows to the Lord your God and fulfill them. Let all who are around Him bring gifts to Him who is to be feared. He will cut off the spirit of princes. He is feared by the king's of the earth. What is he saying? He's saying that this God is so resplendent in majesty. It's like a king who has a great robe, the greatest robe of the earth, and that robe fills the whole earth, and his scepter is the largest scepter in the universe, and he sits in judgment and brings wrath against men who are proud and who will not praise him, who will not fear him, even the kings of the earth who won't give him glory. You remember Herod in the New Testament? Taking all of the glory for himself, what happened to him? At the moment, the people were lauding all of the praise upon him, 
And when he thought his scepter was the largest in the universe, when he thought his robe was the greatest of all, when he thought he was the king of all kings, immediately God struck him and worms ate him and he died. Why? Because he wasn't fearing God. He didn't love God. He didn't care about God. He wanted people to fear Him. He wanted people to revere Him. He wanted people to stand in awe of His presence. You remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? Same thing. God put him in a place where he recognized the fear of God. And how did he do it? By putting Nebuchadnezzar, the great king, out to pasture. Psalm 89. Psalm 89. Just again, over and over and over again, God wants us to be reminded time after time after time of the great power of God and why we should fear Him. Psalm 89, verse 7. A God greatly feared in the counsel of the holy ones and awesome above all those who are around Him. O Lord God of hosts, who is like You, O mighty Lord? Fear God for His transcendency. Not just His resplendency, but His transcendency. He's a God above all gods. He's a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of all of His holy ones. Awesome above all are those who are around Him. Awesome is He. Who is like You, O mighty Lord? Why should we fear Him? Because He's mightier than we are. He shows us that we're but dust, feeble, frail. We're nothing. And yet we question this God. We wonder if He has our best interests at heart. Greatly to be feared is this transcendent God. Psalm 90, verse 11, just one psalm later. Psalm 90, the psalm of Moses. Listen to what he says in verse 11. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? You see, you should fear God. We should all fear God because of the power of His anger. Even if that anger isn't expressed toward us anymore as believers, it is still an anger that is so awesome and it's going to be displayed over the whole earth when He comes back to judge the unrighteous and He pours out His fury we should fear Him because of it. What does Moses tell us to do? So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. God, show me. Show me how to fear you appropriately. Show me how to revere you as you really are. Show me how to have this healthy dread because I know that even though you've delivered me, there are others around me who don't know you. There are others in this world who scoff at you and one day they're going to see the power of your anger and the fury of your wrath and they will then, but only then, understand the great fear that is due you. That's a terrible sight. We should praise God for His anger and His fury, even that which is born upon unrighteousness because it's a part of His character. Yes, He's loving. Yes, He's merciful. But He's also a God to be feared because He's a God of great anger and great fury. He even says in the Bible that God is angry with the wicked. How often? Every day. Every day. Psalm 96 
Psalm 96 speaks of this fear of the Lord by looking at His great power and living in light of it. Psalm 96, verse 3, Tell of His glory among the nations, His wonderful deeds among all the peoples, for great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods, for all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Fear God for His splendor and His beauty. Isn't it amazing how verse 6 puts together in one verse, strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. The strength of the Lord, the mighty hand of the Lord, the power of the Lord, and yet the beauty of the Lord as well. Wonderful juxtapositioning of His great attributes. And this is the kind of God that the psalmist says we're to fear, a fear above all gods. Psalm 139 Psalm 139 speaks of fearing God for His wonderful fashioning of human beings. You might remember this quite well, Psalm 139. It's a favorite psalm for many of us. Psalm 139, look at verse 14. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Oh, how it grieves me sometimes when I hear people referencing this verse, and they talk about how wonderful they are and how great they are, but the text is saying how fearfully and wonderfully they've been made. The emphasis is not on how great we have been made. The emphasis is not on how we are and who we are. It's wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. It doesn't make me look at me. It makes me look at God. It makes me thank God. It says, I will give thanks to you, for you have fearfully and wonderfully made me. And my soul knows it very well. I should fear God. Why? Because He's fashioned my soul. He's fashioned my body. I'm a human being at God's behest. And He's done it fearfully and wonderfully. We should fear God for His wonderful fashioning of human beings. Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah 10. And you can see what I'm doing. I'm just going through the great sweep of Scripture and speaking of the great fear of God, but speaking at it in light of His great power. Chapter 10, verse 1. Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, Jeremiah says. God speaking through him. O house of Israel, thus says the Lord, do not learn the way of the nations, and do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens, although the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are delusion, because it is wood cut from the forest, the work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not totter. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying that when the nations build their own idols, they do it with all of their own hands and with all of their own work and with all of the wood that they can find themselves from the forest. And they have a craftsman and they have a cutting tool and they decorate it and they paint it and they fashion it with gold and they fasten it with nails and with hammers so that it will not fall over. But he says, verse 5, like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they. And they cannot speak. They must be carried. In other words, what good is a God you have to carry? 
like a piece of luggage. You've got to carry this God around with you. Because they cannot walk, do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. There is none like you, O Lord. Now he compares the Lord to this. You are great, you are mighty, and mighty is your name. Your name is great in might. Who would not fear you, O God, O King of the nations? Indeed, it is your due. For among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. In other words, when we compare you with all of the tottering idols of the day, no one is like you. But they, these idols, are altogether stupid and foolish in their discipline of delusion. Their idol is wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Euphaz, the work of a craftsman and of the hands of a goldsmith. Violet and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skilled men, but the Lord is the true God. Don't you love that? The Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At His wrath, the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure His indignation. Why should we fear God? Because He's true. Because He's the only true God. He's the only living God. All the other supposed gods are dead. They have to be carried around. They're nothing but a piece of wood fashioned uprightly, and you better watch out or they're going to fall over. They paint them up. They nail them up. And all of the skilled craftsmen of the world can build this great idol. But he's dead. Can't speak. He's not alive. Can't think. Can't reason. Can't answer prayer. Can't create a world. But God in His wrath creates an earthquake and the nations cannot endure His indignation. We ought to fear this kind of God. Our God is alive. Our God is alive. It's the only religion of the world where we serve a risen deity. We ought to fear this God, reverence Him, dread in the healthiest sense of the term because He's great and matchless, because He's true. Look at chapter 44 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 44. Jeremiah 44, verse 10. But they have not become contrite even to this day, nor have they feared, nor walked in my law, an indictment of the children of Israel, or my statutes which I have set before you and before your fathers. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I am going to set my face against you for woe, for evil, for damnation, even to cut off all Judah. Why? Why is Judah to be cut off? Why are they to be judged so severely? Because they have not feared me, nor have they walked in my law or my statutes. What's he saying? We ought to fear God for His ability to damn, His ability to curse, His power to consign men to judgment because of their evil, because of their wickedness. 
Look, if there's anyone to be feared in this world, it is a God who can send a person to heaven or hell. That's God. We ought to fear Him because of His ability to judge righteousness and unrighteousness. Daniel 6, Daniel 6, verse 25. Daniel 6, 25. Then Darius, the king, wrote to all the peoples. Why? Because God had preserved Daniel and his friends in the lion's den. Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language who are living in all the land, make your peace abound, he says. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Why? Why? For he is the living God and enduring forever, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. Who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions? We ought to fear God for his eternal kingdom, his power. His power has no end. He has a kingdom that will rule and reign forever, and He has the power to deliver someone even from animals who would otherwise tear them apart. Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. There's another animal story. Jonah 1.4, The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God, and they threw the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, lain down and fallen sound asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish." Each man said to his mate, Come, let us cast lots so that we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? Verse 14. After Jonah told them, Then they called on the Lord and said, We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us, for you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. Amazing. Now they're calling on the God of Jonah. Why? How did Jonah address himself? How did he identify himself? Look at verse 9. He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. So what did they do? Well, the first thing, if you're an unbeliever, that you'd want to do is separate yourself as quickly as you can from the, the storm the eye of the storm, and that's Jonah, verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. And then the Lord, or then the men, verse 16, feared the Lord greatly. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. They understood at least one thing. 
And that is you have to offer vows to this great God. And the thing they wanted to do was stop the storm. And the thing they figured was the right thing to do was to get rid of the one who was causing the commotion, Jonah himself. So they just picked him up and threw him into the sea. And then the men feared the Lord greatly. Why did they fear the Lord? Because you see this grand storm raging. You see that you're about to lose your life. The boat is falling apart. All the cargo being thrown off doesn't work. You know God is controlling these things. You're going to do everything you can to fear this Lord. Fear this God. We ought to fear God because He controls not only the sea, but He controls the animals of the sea. Verse 17, And the Lord appointed... Isn't that interesting? The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. God is to be feared because He controls even the animals, even the animals of the sea. Malachi 1.14. Malachi 1.14. We ought to fear God for His name among the nations. Malachi 1.14. But curse, the Lord says, be the swindler who has a male, that's a male animal in his flock, and vows it, vows it to the Lord, just like those men wanted to vow to the Lord and offer a sacrifice out of the boat that Jonah was in, cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. In other words, why, when you have an animal that should be sacrificed, that you should be giving to the Lord as your vow of that which God can do, and that is forgive your sin, why would you give this particular male in your flock on pretense? Instead of giving God the right kind of offering, you give Him a blemished animal, one that has a defect. The Lord knows that. He says, I'm a great king, and my name is feared among the nations. Don't trifle with me. Don't give me damaged goods. That's what Cain did, didn't he? Offered the Lord something that wasn't acceptable. We ought to fear God because when we give Him praise and worship and adoration, thanksgiving, we don't want to give Him a blemished heart of this sacrifice of praise. We want to give Him our whole heart. We don't want to give Him damaged goods. We want to be able to, to give our whole heart to the Lord. We want to be able to say, Lord, as much as I can give you out of this sinful heart, I want to offer you my sincere praise, my sincere sacrifice of thanksgiving. I want to fear you because of your name among the nations. I don't want to offer you damaged goods. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Behold... I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Maybe a reference to the Lord himself, the Lord Jesus. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. 
He will sit as a smelter and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver so that they may present to the Lord offerings in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. And I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers and against the adulterers and against those who swear falsely and against those who oppress the wage earner in his wages, the widow and the orphan, and those who turn aside the alien and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. We ought to fear God for His purifying and His refining. He looks at our deeds. He looks at our ministry. And He says, are you dealing falsely with people? Do you have a... Do you have a false witness? Are you oppressing the wage earner? Are you giving those who work for you their, their honest due? Are you caring for the widow? Are you caring for the orphan? James 1, pure and undefiled religion, visiting orphans and widows in their distress, turning aside a stranger. Well, if you do, it's because you don't fear me, says the Lord of hosts. We ought to fear Him for His refining and His purifying looking at our works, burning up that which is chaff, which is ministry done for our sake or for someone else's sake with an ill motive, but not doing it for the Lord Himself. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. This is going to be an ultimate judgment. But for you, but for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness, a reference to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. We ought to fear God for His bringing Jesus Christ as the Son of Righteousness. There's an ultimate judgment that's coming, but we've been delivered. We've been delivered from it because God has caused to shine upon us the very sun of righteousness so that we might escape this ultimate judgment. We ought to fear God. We ought to reverence Him. We ought to give Him great awe because of His deliverance for us. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew 10. This is probably one of the strongest statements in all of the Bible about fearing God and why we should fear Him. Look at verse 24 of Matthew 10. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and the slave like his master. If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, Satan, if they called Jesus Satan, how much more will they malign the members of his household? In other words, if, if they're saying that Jesus does what He does by the prince of demons, how much more are you, His servants, going to be maligned? And how much are they going to mistreat you? Verse 26, Therefore do not fear them. That is, physical fear. Don't fear them, what they can do to you, cause bodily harm toward you, cause you to suffer. For there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. And what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim on the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both body and soul 
in hell. What is it saying? We ought to fear God because He's the only one in the universe who can destroy both body and soul. It's one thing for someone to destroy your body. It's one thing for you to lose a limb, to lose a vital organ, to lose your very life. But they can't touch your soul. But you ought to fear the one who can touch your soul. Giving God great reverence, healthy dread, because He is the one in the universe, the only one who can destroy both body and soul and cast both body and soul into hell. Luke chapter 1. Luke 1, verse 46. You remember Mary's Magnificat? Verse 46, And Mary said, after finding out, of course, that in her womb was to be carried the very Lord Himself, she says, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior, for He has regard for the humble state of His bondslave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things. You see the power of God? The Mighty One, the Powerful One is great, done great things for me, and holy is His name, and His mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who what? Fear him. He's great and He's awesome, and He's also merciful. And He extends His holiness and His mightiness and His mercy upon generation after generation, and He only does it, however, to those who fear Him. Fear God for His mercy. Fear God for His deliverance. The end of Luke, Luke 23. Luke 23, verse 39. You see how the Scripture is just heaping verse after verse after verse after verse about fearing God and filling up our minds with the truth of what it means to fear God and live in light of His great power. Luke 23, verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged, that is, hanged there with Jesus, was hurling abuse at Him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him said, Do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. We ought to fear God because we deserve the condemnation we receive. We deserve it. And this man is receiving the light of grace, isn't he? And he's acknowledging this and he's saying, I recognize that you and I as thieves are under the righteous sentence of condemnation. We are suffering justly. He's on the road to fearing God, isn't he? Understanding who God is. That he deserves to die. That he deserves judgment. And he's admonishing the other. The other is proud and arrogant and says, I don't want to receive what I don't even think I deserve and I'm hanging on this tree. Shouldn't I be somewhere else? He was hurling abuse at Christ, but the other wasn't. We ought to fear God for His condemnation. Just condemnation. Acts chapter 19. Acts 19. 
You say, why would the Lord pepper these references to His fear throughout all the Bible? Because He wants us to know Him. He wants us to acknowledge Him all over the pages of Scripture. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick. That's power, folks. And the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks who lived in Ephesus, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. Why? Because they saw the power of God in Paul's life and ministry. Even upon his handkerchief, there was so much power that people were being healed. And many, verse 19, of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone, and they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing, the power of the word of God. We should fear God for His signs and wonders. We should fear Him. Fear fell upon them, verse 17, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Sometimes even the spiritual fear of God brings the physical fear of what you see in your very presence. See the power of God, there's no way to describe it. There's no way to catalog it. There's no way to to exclaim it. And yet we should fear God for His great signs and His great wonders in the beginning of the church. And then lastly, Revelation, Revelation chapter 11. You didn't think I was ever going to stop, did you? Revelation chapter 11. Look at verse 15. Revelation 11, 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, the Powerful One, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. You see, that's even a description of who's a Christian. Somebody who fears God. Somebody who fears the name of God. Why? Because he says in verse 17, you are the Lord God, the Almighty, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. We ought to fear God for His eternal reign. Revelation 14, verse 6. 
And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come. Worship Him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and springs of water. Do you see? They keep bringing in the idea of God as the mighty, powerful Creator. Fear this God because He creates the world. Fear God for His glory. Revelation 15. Revelation 15.1. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. You see that power again. Great and marvelous seven angels who had seven plagues, which are the last, because in them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw something like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and those who had been victorious over the beast and his image and the number of his name standing on the sea of glass holding harps of God. And they sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great! Mighty and marvelous are your works. O Lord God, the Almighty, righteous and true are your ways. King of the nations, who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. We ought to fear God for His great and His marvelous works. Powerful God. We can fear a God like that. And then the last passage, Revelation 19. The Lord, the Lord takes this concept of the fear of God and he, and he puts it all the way at the latter part of the last book of our Bible. Revelation chapter 19, verse 1. After these things I heard something like a loud voice of great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because His judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he's avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, the small and the great. God could have said anything. Anything could have been said about God because everything needs to be said about God. And yet the one thing that He says over and over and over and over again, even with this great paean of praise, with this finality of praise that happens here at the end of our Bibles, it says, fear God. Fear Him. Fear Him for His salvation. Fear Him for His glory. Fear Him for His power. Fear God because He controls dreams in His providence, because He's an avenger of His people, because of His sheer power, His awesome voice, His miracles, His chastisements, His mighty hand, His thunder and rain, His wonderful deeds, His awesome majesty, His powerful creation, His resplendency, His transcendency, His anger and fury, His splendor and beauty, His wonderful fashioning of humans, His true nature, His living being, His damnation, His judgment, His eternal kingdom, His control control of the animals, His name among, among the nations, His refining and purifying power, His Son, the Lord Jesus, the Son of righteousness, His destructing power, His mercy, His condemnation, His signs and wonders, His eternal reign, His glory, His marvelous works, His salvation, glory, and power. 
And folks, that's just one aspect of the fear of God. One. What do we say to this God? How do we respond to this God? Well, if you're like me, after having studied it, reading all these passages, looking at them in their context, arranging them, cataloging them, seeing that all that I've shared with you this morning and this evening is but one aspect of the fear of God as seen in His mighty power. I fall down in a heap and I say, Lord, I don't know you that well. I don't know you very well. Because I don't live my life in light of this power. I don't. Oh, there's, there's an occasional glimpse, a fleeting picture here and there. But when you study the Word of God, as we have done this morning and this evening, and you see this overwhelming and repetitive look at the fear of God and His great power, there's only one thing to do, and that is to bow in reverence. And to have a, a healthy dread, God, I, I displease you. It seems as though, Lord, when I compare the pattern of my thoughts to what has been revealed in Scripture about your mighty power and how I'm to fear you in light of that, do I know you at all? Do I live my life in light of this? Father, the only thing to do is pray. It's to pray and to acknowledge our sin and to ask you once again if you would be gracious to us. Lord, we know that we come to you often. And we ask you to be patient and gracious with us once again. And we're asking you tonight that as a result of what we've learned and as a result of what we should do in living in light of this great power of yours, that we are reduced to a heap Because we don't live like this. We don't serve you like this. We don't love you like this. And we ask for your forgiveness. We thank you for the cross. And we ask that you would bring us to humility and brokenness so that we may fear you as you reveal yourself to us in the Bible. Thank you for your power. May we begin this day attempting to live with your power in light of your power and to fear you 
as we now know we should. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.